Welcome, friends, to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all lovers of the Bible. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We are coming to you today with insights into Exodus 32, 1 through 14, the infamous Golden Calf episode. Mm -hmm. It's slotted for October 11th, 2020, and uh, we've got Tim McNinch on this one. So, Tim, where are you taking us with this one today? Well, you know, Rachel, how you always say that every passage is your favorite passage in the Bible? Well, maybe not every, but yeah, I say that frequently. Is, is, <laughs> is this one of yours then? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I find myself liking it less and less the more I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> it seems like as I keep an eye out for preaching pitfalls, this story just keeps turning into like a preaching sinkhole. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Take us there with you then. Let's dive into the sinkhole together. All right. Well, there are, I mean, this, this passage is famous for a reason. There are some really interesting aspects to the story. And I've heard and read sermons and devotions that, um, for example, key in on the power of prayer mm-hmm. in this story, the, the way that um, God actually listens to Moses and changes God's mind about wiping Israel off the map, mm. which is a pretty powerful thing to consider. Or um, often people will focus in on the golden calf sort mm-hmm. of episode itself and make it an object lesson for all the ways that we create counterfeit gods in our own lives, ways that we shrug off God's goodness and choose for ourselves the things that we devote ourselves to. Yeah, one of my favorite sermons I heard about that was when Dr. Rolf Jacobson brought his golden calves to worship with him, which was his twins jersey. He's a a Minnesotan and his uh, Vikings jersey. And he talked about the ways that these were golden calves that he not only worshiped above God, but that brought him to do worse things than he would normally do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, and and those are those are really good points in this passage. I think I think those things are there and those are good sermons to preach. But at the same time, if we're not careful, they can skip over some of the horror that's mm. here in this passage. Mm. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh when in our podcast, I had one of the texts where the Israelites complain in the wilderness. You might remember this. Mm. And and there God is so patient and compassionate with them and helpful. But here, when the Israelites make what I think is a very understandable religious error, mm. given their context. Okay. I mean, um, Moses is gone for more than a month mm. and um, they don't have any way to represent their God to themselves. And the only thing they know from their uh, sort of social religious context is to make some sort of image that would represent their God. And they do that. And they say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Um, they're, they're, I feel like they're kind of trying to do their best. Mm. <laughs> uh-huh. But God flares up in anger and is ready to totally destroy them. Mm. It's only Moses that holds God back. I, I kind of have the picture in my head, kind of like a buddy keeping his friend from <laughs> lashing out on the school playground, you know, against somebody who's been taunting them. Hang on, man. Hold me back. (laughs) (laughs) And and Moses appeals to God's ego, of all things. Come on, God, what will the Egyptians think when they hear about this? And he also appeals to the promises that God had made to the ancestors, and God backs down. Mm. But the lectionary cuts off right there at the end of verse 14. Mm. 
in a story that continues on as Moses comes down and sees the golden calf. He smashes the tablets of the covenant, which symbolizes the way that the people have voided it, like like sort of tearing up a contract. Mm. And he calls the people to take sides. Mm -hmm. Who's on God's side here? And only the Levites, the, the descendants of Levi, step up to be on God's side. And... This is awful. <laughs> Moses sends them through the camp to slaughter the people at random. Mm. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. And the Levites do it. They slaughter about 3,000 people. And Moses rewards them by saying, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of a son or a brother, and so have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. Mm. And then to top it all off, God, who had relented earlier, just goes ahead and sends a plague on the people anyway for making the golden calf. <laughs> so as the story continues, Moses has to plead twice more with God to chill out. And finally, God concedes to still lead the people into the promised land, although only after the first generation had completely died off. <laughs> And I mean, I have to say, in all honesty, this is the kind of story that gives the sort of air quotes, God of the Old Testament, a bad rep. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially when you go past the lectionary ending and do the whole entire story. Absolutely. It is one of the darkest, hardest moments in the Old Testament. So how do you preach it, Tim? <laughs> this is where you're supposed to tell me. <laughs> yeah. <right>, yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, I have to say, I don't have this all figured out. I, I, like I said at the beginning, this is, this is a tricky text for me and, you know, preachers out there, maybe some of you have some insights into this that I haven't really come across yet. And I would, I would covet that not in a way that breaks the commandment. I would, <laughs> I, would I would covet your insights. Um, uh, I would just say that I, I can understand this passage in its historical context and why people would have written it. Um, but it's, for me, a tricky one to hear as a divine word from God. My sort of best offering at this particular moment on this podcast is to maybe acknowledge the humanness of the telling of the story. You know, often people's stories of their ancestors and their history really aggrandize themselves. They make themselves and their, their ancestors into the heroes. Mm. But this is a story that acknowledges the foolishness of their own ancestors, the mistakes they made along the way, the ways that they suffered for their errors. Mm. And in a way, I mean, it shows a God who's not aloof to all of this, but is emotionally invested in the project of making a people of God. I resonated with what you said last week, Rachel, about a God who's not just uh, a statue that you can poke and prod and it has no response. This is a God who gets hurt mm. when we hurt this God. Mm. And that comes out in this text as well. None of that papers over the challenges of this text, but I think this is definitely one where we can find ourselves in it, you know, warts and all, whether we find ourselves in the people or in Aaron, in the way that Aaron sort of finds himself caught between uh, allegiance to God and the, um, the demands of the people, or in Moses in sort of his intercessory role, or we might even find ourselves um, like a resonance of ourselves in the emotion that God feels when when God has been um, neglected by the people or or betrayed by the people in a, in a way. So there's a lot of sort of touch points here 
how that makes its way into a sermon, I'm still working on, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Absolutely. I, there's a, uh, the, the, the issue of God's violence in the Old Testament is one that has been um, on my mind and kind of on my heart for a while now, in part because I feel like as a scholar of the Bible, especially of the Hebrew scriptures, I should have a well-formed answer for why people shouldn't write God off as the angry, violent God of the Old Testament. And I, mm -hmm. so I've been trying to come up with kind of an elevator speech about that. Um, I haven't quite gotten there yet, to be quite honest, but there's there's two things that when I talk with my students about it um, that I typically say. The one, the first thing that I say is it does no good to paper over the sins of the past. It, it does us no good to pretend that what we've done badly hasn't happened because it continues to affect today. Um, stuff lives on in our bodies throughout mm -hmm. the generations. And so it's important to keep a, a, a memory of that and keep a testimony to that. Even God, even the way that God has worked in our lives in, a, in ways that at times feel violent or hurtful. This is an important um, moment, I think, for anyone who felt that God has acted violently in their life. Give voice to that and acknowledge that that is a real experience. Martin Luther had that experience over and over again. Um, the other thing that I have heard about this, and I cannot remember the scholar, forgive me, dear listeners, but there's a recent scholar who worked with violence, um, God's violence in the Old Testament. And one of the things he said is that as God is drawn further and further into community with humans, God gets human stuff all over God. Hmm. So, so that God is drawn into the violence of humans and in some ways starts to act that out because of how serious God is about being in relationship. Not that God chooses it, but that God is drawn into it. And so it provokes violence out of God as well. There's some issues with that. You know, I yeah, don't think it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's not a perfect answer, but it's an interesting one. So, um, you know, preachers, if any of this made sense to you, I would say go for it. If, if this felt like one of the harder texts, then, then maybe don't preach on it, but just spend a little bit of time this week thinking of your answer. What is your answer to the, the challenge of why people should trust this angry, violent God of the Old Testament and maybe have a little bit of your own elevator speech to come up with? And then share it with us. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Teach us. Which, dear by friends. the way, you can find a contact form on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com, <laughs> where you can send us your feedback about this and uh, how awful this episode was, and how you have it all figured out and uh, have the answers for us. And we will be glad to receive that kind of feedback. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe. I mean, you're there already. You don't have to waste <laughs> the time or perhaps share. Uh, but either way, dear friends, thanks for coming with us on this hard text. We hope that it offered some sort of helpful point for your ministry or your preaching this week. And thanks, Tim, for your work on this tough text. Sure, did my best. All right, friends, subscribe, share, preach, and trust that God's got us all in the divine hand. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McPinch. God be with you all.